the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. If you think about it, the hallmark of a truly extraordinary church might have three fundamental components about it. A church that's dedicated to discipleship, biblical integrity, and surrounded by dedication to the Great Commission, the Greatest Commandment, and one that celebrates and supports family. And the gentleman that you're about to meet, the church that we're about to showcase today, fits on all of those points. We are very pleased to have with us today the senior pastor of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, Pastor Leighton Sheely. Pastor Sheely, a delight and an honor to have you join us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, I don't know much about you or your church, so you'll have to know. <laughs> had to get that disclaimer in at the very get-go. Long-time listeners to this radio station are certainly familiar with both your pulpit ministry through the daily broadcast of Verse by Verse, and of course that of your father, Pastor Don Sheely, on Daybreak, with whom many people get their day started every single day as they have for many, many years. But today we wanted to kind of pull back the curtain, talk a bit more about your pulpit ministry, talk about what God is doing on the peninsula, and in particular, the life of folks at Church of the Highlands. This is a multifaceted multifaceted congregation where not only do you host schooling, but of course you have a church life there where Folks get involved and grow closer in their walk with Jesus and go about the business of uh, making other disciples. So with that as sort of our our um, uh, groundwork today, let's talk a bit about first some of the, the glorious history of this church. Your mom and dad, I believe, started Highlands, was not known as Highlands then. It was what, Calvary? Calvary Cross Church in Daly City. Calvary Cross Church, and that goes back to the late 1950s, doesn't it? Yeah, October, first weekend in October 1959 is when the church started. So it's over 60 years uh, new. Uh, very, very thankful for God uh, guiding and providing and protecting all of these years. Um, and the, the church continues uh, being a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching church, uh, assisting people to know and love Christ Jesus through a great commitment to the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Both your mother and father... Um have had a tremendous legacy of commitment not only to Christ-based education, but also to outreach and evangelism. And your father in particular, I, I had to laugh at the time of which it was announced that he would be retiring. Listeners can't see my air quotes, but Don Sheely yeah. is retiring, and yeah. his son Leighton is going to take over leadership of Church of the Highlands. But your father never really retired. He kind of, in a sense, picked up where he left off and headed back out into the mission field. And I believe at the time he was in his early 80s, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, well, the transition actually took place back in 2006, um, and because Dad was, you know, um, he loved to preach and, 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 and so forth, we had a plan for us to kind of share the pulpit for a period of time. That got a little hiccup in 2008 when I fell off a motorcycle in San Francisco, but uh, yeah, he, he always had a passion for missions. Um, in fact, um, when we were preparing for his memorial, uh, we put together a map as we were gathering information and realized that he had visited some over 60 nations of the world doing missions work going back over the decade. In fact, um, he was really, um, he, he felt really called to the ministry of missions and, and already had an apartment and a car in Hong Kong and took a temporary assignment in San Francisco and that temporary assignment, you know, lasted <laughs> however many years it lasted uh, so, you know, um, God's got a, got a sense of humor as to how he guides and directs. Mom started the school over 50 years ago, 
and the school has ministered to over 10,000 students over the years. And, and now we are uh, ministering to the children of children who were in our school. They grew up and got married and had children and wanted their children to experience the same school that, that they were able to. So um, it's neat when, when we're able to minister to multiple generations, um, you know, that's it, it, just a, something that many pastors don't get to enjoy. Well, and, and not only, I think, a tremendous spiritual legacy in sense of the generational impact, but one of the other hallmarks of Church of the Highlands, and we've alluded to this in our conversation already, and that is a sense of passion, not just about ministering to Judea, but also branching out into Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So while certainly Church of the Highlands is very community-centric, focusing on local families right there in the greater San Bruno area and outreach in the North Peninsula region, that sense of heartbeat and passion for reaching the lost has been part of sort of the DNA of Church of the Highlands. As you point out, your dad originally heading off to Hong Kong, then that little 50-plus-year-long temporary distraction. I won't want to call it a distraction. The detour for 50 years, and then finally making it back on the mission field. But all the while, Highlands was always involved in that very broad global outreach. I remember when the fall of the Iron Curtain take place in the late 80s, early 1990s. Wasn't it Highlands that was one of the first to say there are pastors in Russia, in the Ukraine, that desperately need to get grounded in God's Word? And so Highlands was one of the first churches to actually establish a Bible college in the Ukraine, as I recall. Yeah. Um, when we was a partnership with a wonderful church across the bay, um, there was uh, how many denominations? Seven denominations or 17? I forget now because it was years ago that were all in, involved in the project. The, te- the pastors would go across and teach for two weeks, and then uh, we put together the team that uh, administrated the school and brought together the students, uh, graduated over 500 of the students, and many of those students have gone on to make huge impacts uh, in the, the Ukraine and other places around the former Soviet Union. Um, and when I say huge impacts, the, the reports I get, are in the tens of thousands and, and plus. So, um, yeah, he, he's, dad was, before that, back in the 70s, he worked with another pastor missionary uh, in providing Bible training for pastors in Africa. So he's, uh, we, we've always had an interest in, in developing uh, pastors, church leaders, and so forth. Uh, right now, we have a team of uh, from our church, including quite a number of our young people, that are in uh, in Central America on a missions trip. And uh, so our church uh, believes in investing in young people. When, when I grew up in the youth group, uh, Pastor Mark Hinman, who has now since gone on to glory, uh, every year would take dozens of our youth to Mexico on a Mission to Mexico program. And many of those young people that experienced that uh, missions work ended up full-time in either missions or ministry. And uh, so the number of pastors and missionaries that the church has produced over the decades um, is, is I don't know how to even count them or number them. I'm constantly reminded of missionaries here and there uh, that uh, grew up in our church, and so I'm very thankful for uh, that heritage. So so not only a multi-generational legacy, but a global legacy. And it continues to this very day. And, and even your dad, when, uh, when he was reaching the end of his full-time ministry here on earth, um, he got re-fired for Jesus. Some people would say, hey, I've done my time. I've done my preaching. I've led a successful church for many decades. Time now for me to relax. My wife and I are going to go uh, do some vacation planning, things of that sort. That was never really part of the agenda at any point. In fact, in some cases, it might be argued that your father felt led to a part of the world that even some young people would say, yeah, that's a bit much. You know, <laughs> I feel comfortable if Jesus wants to call me to, uh, you know, Kona, Hawaii, 
But when you say the uttermost parts of the earth, if you look that up on the map, I'm fairly certain that Borneo would show up on that list. And in fact, toward the end of your father's life, he was very actively engaged in a ministry partnership down there and in reaching young people for Christ and preparing them for ministry in a largely very unreached part of the world. Yeah, we have a wonderful uh, partner in ministry down there, an orphanage that we've been involved with for a number of years. And Dad wrote a book about uh, the, I think it's called Miracle in the Jungle, uh, about uh, some of the things that God had done uh, to make that ministry possible to the to the orphans there. And and there are literally hundreds of orphans that have been brought in or being raised in a Christian environment and, and uh, trained to be able to, sh- to take their uh, take the gospel back out to their tribes, um, many of whom uh, it wasn't too many years ago were were headhunters uh, and, and things like that. And so, um, Dad, uh, Pastor Tony, our missions pastor, is in regular communications, and we've got teams that we get there every year when we can. It's been kind of a problem this last <clears throat> couple of uh, year and a half or so. Uh, but we're planning on getting out there just as soon as we can. And I was told recently that uh, Ronnie Habor is going to be coming out uh, this coming year. And so we're looking forward to having him come. Um, another example was uh, when I only started the Bible college in uh, Kiev, out near Chernobyl, no less. Um, but uh, um, we Dad also started a Bible college in Siberia. And... Uh, that's probably not one of the resort capitals of the world. Um, but, uh, you know, I think he did have a, a vision for going wherever God led. And, 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 and uh, I also have a great appreciation for the um, missionary that stayed there for three years in a very cold region of the world. Um, I can't imagine uh, the reward that's awaiting him when he goes to see Jesus. So, um yeah, we're, we're, and, and mom, it, it, you're right in terms of dad was ministering to people, even as the cancer was advancing very much. So even to the last few days of his life, he, I think he was still receiving visitors four or five days before uh, God called him home. And my mom, who will be turning 92 in January, uh, continues doing ministry, especially in the women's ministries. Uh, and also parenting, uh, even to this day. So it's, it's kind of a part of our, you know, we we had, we, we had a pastor that uh, his wife was on our, our staff as one of our teachers, and uh, he announced that he was going to be retiring. And, and Highlands kind of has a predisposition uh, to <laughs> against retiring. So we invited him to be on our staff, and he was with us seven years before he actually retired. So uh, you know, it's uh, it's neat what God has done. Let's talk a bit about Church of the Highlands. And, you know, this ministry, as I say, has been impacting lives for decades now on the peninsula. Give us a bit of a glimpse of, of the experience of that community worship in Highlands. Well, cool. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I'll start with the church and then go to the school. The, the, the drive-in service is actually... Um, Within uh, the week after the stay-at-home order hit, I was on the phone with our liaison uh, asking uh, what they would think if we were to open up a drive-in church. And uh, Officer Scott, wonderful man, uh, said, can you give me a moment to run this up the chain and and see what they think? And he got back to me and says, can you wait for just a few weeks because we're just trying to figure out uh, what's going on. And you remember how confusing everything was uh, right after that stay-at-home order. And so... We did that, but with only two exceptions, two weekends, uh, we've had drive-in service uh, available for people that, that aren't quite comfortable getting back to the sanctuary yet, but want to get up and go to church and be encouraged. And the two weekends were that weekend that we had the lightning strikes, and we had a guest speaker that weekend, and we wanted to protect our guests so we can invite them back. And then also this atmospheric river a few weeks ago uh, was one of those uh, weekends where um, – we wanted to protect our volunteers and bless them for their faithfulness. Um, but the drive-in service then allows people to come, be in their car, um, and uh, they don't have to stay in their car. They can get outside and stand up and worship the Lord and, 
And uh, but it's it's uh, a great opportunity for those who are not yet quite comfortable getting the sanctuary. There are more people uh, comfortable coming into the sanctuary. Um, we have uh, reduced the number of chairs and spread them out a bit more so that uh, people have a bit more comfort in the sanctuary. Uh, generally speaking, I preach for the 9 uh, and 11.30 services, and we have a drive-in at 10 o'clock. We also have Sunday school uh, at 10.15, and uh, we're getting our Sunday school back uh, uh, ramped up, and, and they're doing a wonderful job there. The 7 a.m. service is uh, led by Pastor Ted, who has an incredible testimony. He was saved out of a background, uh, motorcycle gangs like uh, the Hells Angels and stuff like that, and he has a real passion for God, and um, he has a different style of uh, preaching than I. I. I tend to be more of a teacher preacher, and, and he's more of a evangelist preacher. He's got a, a real passion uh, for the Lord, and and, uh, and then Pastor Dave Smith, who's been on our staff now over 20 years, uh, his, he's our head of counseling, and he's also one of our preachers, and he's got a different style again. And so I think that having a variety of styles is very helpful um, uh, for our congregation and, and a real blessing to the congregation. God's really given us an incredible uh, ministry team at, at Islands. And uh, so... Um, that gives you some idea of the services that we have on, on Sunday. Um, in terms of the school, uh, again, founded over 50 years ago, uh, and we have an absolutely amazing team of teachers, administrators, and support staff. Uh, a few weeks before the stay-at-home order came, we realized that it was a probability, and so we put a team together to figure out how to provide uh, remote instruction and learning, and they put together uh, an incredible program so that uh, within just a few days of the stay-at-home order taking effect, our teachers were back uh, being able to instruct the students uh, remotely. And uh, they did such a superb job of that that our enrollment is as strong as it was pre-pandemic. And considering the number of families that have moved <laughs> Uh, that is really uh, quite a statement. So I'm very, very appreciative of um, our teachers. The, the Highlands Christian Schools has always been known for a very high level of academic excellence. In fact, years ago, I can remember looking at um, some reports on the standard achievement tests, the SAT tests, and our average eighth grader uh, graduated post high school on the standard achievement test. So wow. we're basically more than four years ahead of, of of the public uh, school students, and uh, and that excellence uh, continues today. And then our preschool um, is also exceptional. Um, during the pandemic, within just a few weeks after the stay-at-home order hit, we were able to open under a special provision to provide services for first responders. And so our uh, preschool teachers, bless them, uh, braved the ambiguities of COVID at that time in order to be in the classroom uh, and provide instruction for those preschoolers so that mom and dad could go off and be policemen and firemen and EMTs and doctors and nurses uh, to do their ministry to the community. And uh, so uh, we just really have an amazing team of, of teachers and administrators that love God and, and uh, love his word and love his church and and by the way, we have dozens on the waiting list wanting to come into preschool, but um, we're very selective in the teachers. And so uh, if we've got some uh, Christians uh, in the uh, audience today that have thought about ministering to, to uh, children uh, and they're interested in, in, in checking it out, they want to come and check out Highlands Christian Schools. Um, so... Um, that gives you an idea of, of our school. We have um, over 500 in the school uh, that come together weekdays and then our church on Sundays and, and midweek. And we try to maximize the resources that God has given to us for ministry in, in many ways. Well, as you've heard, Highlands, of course, a, a dynamic, engaged community of believers with a long spiritual legacy here in the San Francisco Bay Area, whose ministry and outreach tentacles literally reach around the globe. If you are new to the San Francisco Bay Area, in search of a new church home, you're on the peninsula, 
invite you to stop by Church of the Highlands. Easy to find. They're a landmark there in San Bruno. It's a skyline in Sneath Lane in San Bruno, located at 1900 Monterey Drive. And information available to you on the web at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. You can find more information about the ministry of Church of the Highlands, along with Highlands Christian Schools. And if you wonder, well, when we talk about the teaching, what's the teaching feel like? What would it be familiar to? Well, think of the caliber of Alistair Begg, R.C. Sproul, and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I think that will ideally help you get a sense of the quality of the pulpit ministry of Pastor Leighton Sheely. We invite you, too, to tune in to Daybreak. And verse by verse, heard on this radio station, we'll point you to our station website for local broadcast times. And then I invite you any Sunday morning to visit Church of the Highlands, 1900 Monterey Drive in San Bruno, with service times at 7, 9, 11.30, and 5 p.m., and that drive-in service that Pastor Sheely talked about a moment ago at 10 a.m. Information again on the web at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. Well, Pastor Leighton Sheely, it's been a delight to get a chance to spend some time with you, hear a bit more about the community and the ministry of Church of the Highlands, and uh, we look forward to hearing you more on the radio. Well, thank you, brother, and thank you for your uh, commendations. Lord, as we turn our attention now to your word, we ask you to be our teacher, transform the way we think, speak, and act as your spirit and your word is at work within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite you to uh, turn to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1. In the weeks to come, we're planning on studying this fascinating book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. It, uh, Genesis tells us that God created everything that exists and He rules over it. It also tells of humanity's tragic choice to uh, rebel and sin. And the result of that being death. But then it also reveals to us God's plan of redemption through a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. And it contains many of the most memorable stories of uh, Scripture. Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 brothers, and uh, Joseph. The author was Moses around the year 1440 B.C. But before we begin our study on Genesis this week, last week we reviewed what our church family believes about the Bible. Our statement of faith reads, We believe that the entire Bible is the inspired Word of God, and that men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit to write the very words of Scripture. The Bible is therefore without error in its original manuscripts. God has supernaturally preserved the Bible, and it is the sole and final authority for faith and life, providing encouragement, guidance, comfort, and instruction for training in righteousness. We believe that the entire Bible is the inspired Word of God without error in its original manuscripts. When the Bible says something, it speaks the truth. And as we shall see in the coming weeks, the science, true science, never really contradicts the Bible. Uh, And the Bible has always been proven true as scientists continue uh, work in discovery of archaeologists, historians, and other researchers. In fact, throughout history, it's Christian faith and a trust in the Bible that have led some of the great scientists of history uh, to discover things that have brought immense benefit to mankind. I'm speaking of the lives of Isaac Newton, Galileo Galilei, Johannes Kepler, Pascal, uh, Robert Boyle, Michael Faraday, just to name a few of many. And so it's important for us, both as a church family and as individuals, to make a decision as to what we believe about the Bible, because the Bible is going to conflict with many things this present culture asserts. And as we journey through Genesis, we're going to see multiple examples of what this world believes, that it contradicts what the Bible teaches. For instance, uh, today we're going to see that this present culture asserts a theory of evolution that contradicts the first five words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. And this unbiblical and false worldview has contributed incalculable damage to many individuals through personal lifestyle choices and is also the basis of belief systems such as Freudian, Marxism, socialism, and many other isms. The solution to mankind's massive social problems depend upon a correct understanding of origins. If the evolutionary philosophy is correct, then life really is nothing more than an accident, and we live without purpose. 
If, on the other hand, we are created by God, then our lives have meaning and direction and purpose. So the question of found, uh, the question of origin is the foundation of all other convictions, actions, and beliefs. Now, Christians live in and are influenced by a culture that does not look at things biblically. A Christian's only counter to such godless influence is through immersion in the Bible as the Word of God, not only on Sundays, but all through the week in our daily personal devotions. A little 30-minute sermon is hard-pressed, no matter how uh, biblical or well-prepared or well-presented, to counter the many hours of subconscious programming we experience each day as we go about our business. And that's why we need to be studying the Bible as the Word of God daily. It's the Bible, it's the Word of God that cleanses our thoughts. Now Genesis is important to read because it sets the foundation for understanding everything else that follows in Scripture. The law of first mention or the principle or the rule of first mention is a guideline for studying Scripture. And it mentions that to understand a particular word or doctrine, we must find the first place in Scripture that that word or doctrine is revealed and study that passage. And the reasoning is that the Bible's first mention of something is the foundation upon which doctrines are then later more fully developed. That means, obviously, Genesis is the place to start because it is the book of beginnings. And we're going to find the foundations of many biblical doctrines as we continue to study through the book of Genesis in the weeks to come. Now, I've considered various ways of covering our topic today and decided that the best use of our very limited time is to provide a brief introduction, then read through the passage, providing some light commentary, and then to wrap it up with a more in-depth analysis of support, which supports the biblical narrative with a special emphasis on the first five words, in the beginning God created. And I want to remind you that everything in the Bible is important because it is the Word of God. And if something is mentioned more than once, it's even more important. And so I want you to pay special attention to phrases or words that are repeated, such as, it was good, or after its kind. Uh, For instance, several times God evaluated His work and determined it was good. And then at the end, it was very good. God created uh, the universe to show His glory. And excellence reflects the character of God. Excellence brings glory to God. And that's why we at Highlands endeavor to do everything we do with excellence to glorify God. Now, let's begin. Verse 1, chapter 1, the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, in addition to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, John's Gospel clarifies that Jesus was also present in the beginning. And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so also the Bible clearly teaches that God created the universe out of nothing. The Apostle John wrote, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Apostle Paul wrote, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through Him and for Him. And so the creation of the entire universe includes the creation of the unseen spiritual realm as well. God created angels and other kinds of heavenly beings as well as the earth and what was on the earth. And then there's another aspect that's revealed to us here in Scripture, and that is that God created time. In the beginning, beginning is a reference to time, and it was God who created time, which is the succession of one moment followed by another. Now, when we think of God's existence before the beginning, we should not think in terms of God existing in an unending extension of time, but rather He has a different kind of of existence altogether. He is outside of time and space. He transcends time and space. But the fact that God created time reminds us of His Lordship over it and our obligation to use it for His glory. Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Now, the word Hebrew word day can have a variety of meanings, including an indefinite period of time. But when that word is modified by evening and morning, it can only mean a literal day. 
And as we shall see in the verses that follow, there are some plants and animals that were created on separate days, but have a symbiotic relationship and are mutually dependent. In other words, one cannot exist without the other. If day didn't refer to a literal day, but rather an age or an expansive period of time, then the creature that was created on the earlier day would not have survived long enough to be around when the symbiotic relationship was created later. And so the internal evidence supports us interpreting the word day to mean a literal day. Later in the message, I'll talk about the day-age theory and, and what science uh, indicates about the age of our, our creation. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And so it, and it was so. And God, God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under, under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Now, it, before we get into the verses that follow, I just want to point out that there is a phrase that is often repeated, after its kind or according to its time. Later in the message, I want to address this as an element that both supports biblical creationism as well as counter evidence for evolution. Verse 11, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days and years. And let them be lights, let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. 
You know, one of the most widespread arguments against the trustworthiness of the Bible is this all-too-common belief that modern science has proven evolution and thereby discredited the scriptural account of creation. The obvious fatal flaw in this is that it is impossible to prove scientifically any theory of origins because the essence of science is the scientific method, which is based on observation and experimentation. And it was imp- it's impossible to make observations about the origin of the universe or conduct experiments on it. But the widespread assumption that evolution is an established fact of science is absolutely false. And therefore, it can only be labeled something like a belief or a subjective philosophy of origins or the religion of many scientists. Now, according to this belief system called evolution, all bacteria, plants, animals, and humans have arisen by mere chance from a single remote ancestor that somehow came into existence. All of this was supposed to have happened accidentally without the benefit of any planning or any intelligence. And the basic premise of this molecule-to-man theory is that hydrogen gas, given enough time, will eventually turn into people. Now, diametrically opposed to this viewpoint, biblical creation teaches an initial special creation by God through which all of the laws and processes of nature were brought into existence, and it's described here in Genesis. Now, although neither evolution nor creationism can be proven by scientific method, it's not to say that science doesn't have any benefit or value because we can, we can look at what science has to say and see which of these theories uh, science more likely uh, supports. Now, one significant distinction between creationism and evolution revolves around the phrase in the Bible, after its kind or according to its kind. And what evolution depends on is one life form turning into another life form, and one kind turning into another kind. And uh, evolution is dependent upon this, and it's also dependent upon time, massive amounts of times, to explain why uh, there's weaknesses in this particular thought. And one of the most serious defects undermining the evolutionary theory is a complete absence of any of transitional forms uh, in, in the fossil record. If life has always been in the process, the continuous stream of, of changing one form to another, as evolutionists insist, then we should find copies in the fossils of some of these transitional or intermediate phases of different kinds, and yet we don't find them. Charles Darwin acknowledged this. He wrote, as by this theory, innumerable transition forms must have existed. Why do we not find them embedded in the crust of the earth? Why is all nature not in confusion instead of being, as we see them, well-defined species? Geological research does not yield the infinitely many fine gradations between past and present species required by the theory. And this is obvious, the many objections which may be argued against it. But the explanation lies in the extreme imperfection of the geological record. So Darwin believed that the geological record was imperfect and that in time, these missing links would be found. That was more than a century ago. The missing links are still missing. Uh, Professor uh, Nielsen of Lund University uh, in Sweden uh, wrote, The fossil material is now so complete that the lack of transitional series cannot be explained by the scarcity of the material. The deficiencies are real. They will never be filled. What the fossil record does show us is that life appeared abruptly in great diversity, complexity, and abundance without any ancestors from which to evolve. And uh, furthermore, what we find in the fossil records is that plants and animals that still exist, that have existed since the beginning uh, of the fossil record, have not changed in that supposed 500 million years, give or take, uh, that their ancient uh, ancient ancestors must have lived. So in other words, the starfish, the cockroach, bacteria are no different today than they were back whenever. And Charles Darwin conceded this when he wrote, not one change of species into another is on record. We cannot prove that a single species has been changed. So the biblical statement after its kind is not only verified by paleontological record, but it's also confirmed by modern scientific observation and experimentation. 
uh, horizontal variations operate within the limits of DNA and make it possible for there to be many breeds. For instance, there are many types of dogs which have come from intentional and unintentional breeding. But in all cases, both mom and dad were dogs. Uh, However, vertical transformation from one kind into another kind does not occur. Dogs do not turn into horses. Finches are always still finches. And centuries of breeding experiments have proved solidly against the theory of organic evolution. When there are abnormal crosses attempted, then sterility is always the result. For instance, when you crossbreed a horse with a donkey, it produces a mule. But the mule is always sterile. The fact that each type of hybrid is invariably sterile and does not reproduce is strong evidence against evolution. So once again, we find that actual science supports and confirms the Bible record. Created organisms reproduce after their own kind, not some other kind, and variations are limited within the kind. Evolution also depends on something else, and that is spontaneous generation, that life somehow created itself. But that's been disproved for many centuries by the studies of Reddy in 1688, Spallanzani in 1780, Pasteur in 1860, and Virchow in 1858. And these and others have conducted experiments that have shown that when matter is pre-sterilized and sealed, no life arises. There's no spontaneous generation. And these and others have established the law of biogenesis, that life only comes from pre-existing life and will only perpetuate its own kind. The law of biogenesis is perfectly consistent with creationism, but it counters and contradicts the theory of evolution. George Wald, who won a 1967 Nobel Peace Prize in science, wrote, When it comes to the origin of life on this earth, there are only two possibilities, creation or spontaneous generation, evolution. There is no third way. Spontaneous generation was disproved a hundred years ago, but that leads us only to the one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. We cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. That means for personal reasons. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose spontaneously by chance. Thus, we find that evolution is generally accepted to be a fact of science, not because it can be proven by scientific evidence, but because the only alternative, special creation, is totally unacceptable. Nobel Peace Prize, winner, 1967. Even though the evidence, all is in the favor of creation, we refuse to accept that evidence. You know, um, the Dage theory is one that proposes that when the Bible says days, it doesn't mean days, it means ages, as in billions of years. And uh, it's designed like this to accommodate a time scale that evolutionary thinking thinks is required to justify what they believe. Uh, I grew up in a Bible teaching church, this one. And uh, so I was taught creation, but I also went to the public schools because our school wasn't quite up to my age. And so at school I'd go and I was taught evolution. And I didn't want to believe that, that my church was lying to me. And I didn't want to believe that my teacher was lying to me. So I did what many Christians do. I looked at the word day and say, it doesn't mean a day. It means an age. It means a long period of time. The problem is, is that is not compatible with either the biblical perspective, nor is it actually compatible with real scientific method. Now, you may have heard of some so-called evidence that's used to support the concept of an ancient earth or universe. Uh, for instance, radiocarbon dating or uh, potassium argon dating. The problem with this is that they uh, give erroneous results in testing. For instance, uh, there's at least one living snail that is dated as being 2,300 years old by the carbon-14 method. That is a really old snail, folks. 2,300 years. So they must not only be slow getting from one place to the other, they are slow in living and dying. 2,300-year-old snail that's alive. And then there's been wood that's been taken from living and growing trees that's been dated by carbon-14 to be 10,000 years old. Uh, That was not corroborated by the tree rings, by the way. The tree rings did not indicate that tree was 10,000 years old. 
uh, Hawaiian lava flows that are known to be less than 200 years old have been dated at 3 billion years old by the potassium-argon method. So what we're saying is, is these methods that are used to claim the ancient earth and so forth are very unreliable. Now, there is science that indicates a much shorter time span for the existence of the universe. Uh, For instance, the Earth's magnetic field has been measured for more than a century, and uh, Thomas B. G. Barnes indicated, shows that the strength of the Earth's magnetic field is decaying exponentially at a rate corresponding to a half-life of 1,400 years. Now, what that means is 1,400 years ago, the magnetic field of the Earth was twice as much as it is today. Go back another 1,400 years, it's twice as much as it was then, so it's four times as much, and so forth. So it's, it's not a linear uh, growth, it is an exponential growth. And if you were to go back more than 10,000 years, you would find that the Earth would have a magnetic field as strong as that of a magnetic star. Now, that's not only highly improbable, it's really impossible. And so based on this knowledge, they estimate that the age of the Earth cannot possibly uh, be more than 10,000 years. And then the rotation of the Earth has been measured, and the Earth's spin is slowing down. That means if you go back in time, the days were shorter because the Earth was spinning faster. But if we were to say that this Earth was a billion years old, as uh, evolutionists insist, then, then either today's rate should be zero... Or if we go back a billion years, the earth was spinning so fast that the earth was not a sphere, it was a pancake, and parts of it were flying off into space because it was spinning so fast. So that's the rotation of the earth. Uh, The recession uh, of the moon. The moon is moving away from the earth that's been measured, and the problem evolutionists have is the moon is presently way too close to the earth to explain billions of years. If the billions of years had happened, it should be a whole lot farther away from the earth than it presently is. And we need to also be reminded that the Bible talks about when God creates things, he, sometimes He creates them fully mature. Like in the case of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve didn't go through diapers and toddlers and stuff like that. They were created fully mature. Uh, when Jesus fed the 5,000 in the span of a prayer, uh, which was only a, a few minutes, it, took, uh, it, 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 it went through the entire process of eggs to tadpoles to fish to being caught, cleaned, and cooked. All in the span of a, of a prayer. So God can do things instantaneously that appear to be aged. Um, According to the evolutionary timetable, dinosaurs and mankind did not simultaneously exist. Dinosaurs existed back then, died out, humans came later. That, by the way, is the basis for the conflict in the Jurassic Park books and movies. You remember that supposedly this is the first time dinosaurs and humans have coexisted. But actually... If you go back in the fossil record, you'll find out that that's not the case. I had a young man come to me one time, and, uh, and he said, uh, I don't believe in the Bible. And I said, well, why not? He said, well, uh, the Bible doesn't say anything about dinosaurs, and we know from the fossils they exist. I said, really? Who told you that? My teacher. I said, well, why don't you look up Job chapter 40 and chapter 41? Because your teacher doesn't know her Bible. Your teacher doesn't know her Bible. The Bible does talk about dinosaurs, and they coexisted in the time of Job. And, uh, and, uh, and so the uh, evolutionary timetable contradicts fossil evidence. Let me just give you one example. Um, William Meister, on June 1st, 1968, in Utah, found the fossils of several trilobites in the fossilized sandal footprint of a man. Now, according to the evolution's uh, timetable, trilobites became extinct 230 million years before man appeared. So we have fossil records that show that some of these things in the, in the geological history actually coexist uh, with man. And then there's this matter of thermodynamics. You've heard about the laws of thermodynamics, right? Uh, the first and second laws are scientific laws. Now, the first law of thermodynamics is also known as the law of energy confer- uh, conservation. And it, it states that energy can be converted from one form to another, but it can't be created or destroyed. So, for instance, you hit the brakes in the car, your momentum, that energy is transformed into heat that is dissipated through the brakes. So it can be converted from one form to another, but it can't be created or destroyed. Uh, that is conclusive evidence that the universe did not create itself. Um, the, the, in order to uh, address the obstacle, scientists have proposed a very non-uniformitarianism solution. You may have heard about it. It's called the Big Bang Theory. 
You've heard about the Big Bang. What they're saying is there was nothing then, wait for it, boom, there it is. Everything just happened. Some Big Bang uh, happened somewhere in history. And, uh, you know, believers don't have a problem with the Big Bang theory as long as it's associated with God saying, let there be, and bang, there it was. Right? Now, of course, uh, atheistic uh, evolutionists would attribute the bang to anything other than a creator or God. Then there's also the matter of the second law of thermodynamics, known as the law of energy decay, where every system left to its own devices tends to move from order to disorder. In, in other words, our universe is proceeding in a downward degenerated direction. The science has proven the universe is devolving, not evolving. The law contradicts the theory of evolution because that depends on order coming from disorder, which is the other way around. But the Bible explains that this degeneration is the result of sin. And someday Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to make all things new. Dr. Henry Morris wrote, The second law proves, as certainly as science can prove anything, that the universe had a beginning. Similarly, the first law shows that the universe could not have begun itself. Since energy could not create itself, the most scientific and logical conclusion to which we could possibly come is that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You know, as science continues to discover more and more, there's more and more evidence of intelligent design such as the discovery of DNA in 1953 by Drs. Watson and Crick. And one of the most unique characteristics of life is its ability to reproduce after its own kind. And that's because of a complex DNA molecule. And, and, and if the evolutionary concept is valid, then it must involve an accidental synthesis of a DNA molecule. Now, one of the complications with this is that the DNA molecule can only be replicated with the assistance of specific enzymes, which in turn can only be produced by the controlling DNA molecule. Uh, Both have to be present for replication to occur. So this is another way of saying which came first, the chicken or the egg. It's just a much more elaborate way of saying that. Think about the complexity of DNA. It programs all of the characteristics, uh, say, for instance, of the human body, the hair, skin, eyes, height. It determines the arrangements for 206 bones, 600 muscles, 10,000 auditory nerve fibers, uh, 2 million optic nerve fibers, 100 billion nerve cells, 400 billion feet of blood vessels and capillaries, and so on. Furthermore, the capacity of DNA to store information exceeds vastly anything of modern technology. The information needed to specify the design of all species of organisms that have ever lived could be held in a teaspoon, and there would be still room left to hold all of the information in every book ever written. Such extraordinary sophistication can only reflect superintelligent design. The DNA reflects superintelligent design. You know, a DNA molecule is so small, we can't possibly see it. But if you were to take the DNA and unravel it, it would be six feet long. And that six feet of DNA gets wrapped up inside of that little molecule. And it gets moved around and replicated. Now, how does it do that without getting tangled up? You start thinking about that. It's incredible. The DNA is one of the great testimonies of special creation. You know, when a human egg is fertilized... Uh, division, cell division begins. And so one cell becomes two, which becomes four, and becomes eight. And they're, and they're all identical. But, but eventually, uh, a dark line begins to appear, and that ultimately becomes the spine. And cells are dividing and multiplying, but they're no longer identical. They now have uh, a specific assignment. They become specific tissue, bone, muscle, nerves, and so forth. Now, how is it that this is all coordinated? How is it? Well, Chuck Missler, brilliant engineer, described it like this. He said, suppose we had a group of 50 people, each of whom was skilled in playing every instrument in an orchestra. Suppose, suppose each one was provided a comprehensive set of orchestrations for a symphony. They, in other words, everyone could play any instrument and had all the music they needed. Would we have a symphony? And the answer is no. Because someone has to initiate, give order to, and control the process. 
Someone has to decide who the concert master is and who, who's going to play the timpanis and who's going to play the piano and so forth. And if every cell is capable to lead, how is a leader chosen? Well, perhaps Psalm 139 gives us some insight. That is God who personally organizes the parts which form the human life. Psalm 139, verse 13, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Life is sacred. The womb is a sacred place where God is at work. We are not the product of some evolutionary accident. We are created by God for a purpose. And should the Lord tarry, we want to look into that biblical subject when next we meet. And today I've only begun to introduce you just a, just a, a, a small fraction of the mountains of evidence that undermines the credibility of evolution. And so for further reference, I, I recommend you, you get the book, The Collapse of Evolution by Scott M. Hughes, H-U-S-C. And, and, and online you can look up the name Chuck Messler, brilliant, brilliant scholar. Uh, one of the books that transformed my understanding was a, a book called The Genesis Flood by Dr. Henry Morris. And of course, then you've got much materials available through Creation Research Institute and Institute of Creation Research. ICR, Institute of Creation, is just going to be here in a few weeks And this is so special, folks, we don't want to miss it. These are scientists who know their stuff, and they can teach this stuff a whole lot better than your pastor can. This is not my area of expertise. And there's going to be an opportunity for you to do Q&A, questions and answers, get your your questions answered. And uh, you don't want to miss that. Mark it on your calendars. Go online to the website, highlands.us, and register for that event, because we want to to take advantage of that. And especially important for families and, and families with young kids and kids that are in the public schools. Because when they go to public school... They are inundated with this notion that evolution has discounted uh, the Bible. The Bible is nothing more than a fairy tale. If you can't believe the first five words of the Bible, how can you believe anything else that follows? That's why this concept of evolution is an intentional attack on the veracity, the believability of the Word of God. And that's why it's so important for us to understand that this attack of evolution is scientifically unfounded. Amen? Amen. Lord, we are so thankful for your word that makes it so clear. And Lord, we choose to believe your word. We know that it's truth. And Lord, we pray for our families that our children will not be drawn away by the lies that are so popular in our present culture. Thank you, Lord, for families that, that, that raise their children to know and love you for the opportunity we have to have daily devotions, for the opportunity we have to come and gather together week after week and learn about you and learn, learn about your word. We don't take any of this for granted. Lord, we thank you that your word declares that you've loved us with an everlasting love, that you have saved us from our sin, that you have given us a purpose in life that is to go and make disciples and teach them whatsoever I've commanded you, that you have given us a hope when life has run its course, that you are preparing a place where we're going to be with you and other loved ones for all eternity, where there's no more disease, there is no more violence, there is no more death. Thank you, Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of light. May you be glorified always and forever. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. There's Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands, San Bruno. Again on the web at highlands.us. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to your church's website to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.